0: Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode I hear from renowned conductor Ian Porthouse. Since returning to Tredegar Town Band in 2008, Ian has guided the Welsh band to new heights enjoying considerable contesting success. Under Ian, Tredegar hasn't been afraid to think outside the box, from its involvement in the ballet Dark Arteries to recording for TV and film. From getting the thumbs up on Britain's Got Talent to having lunch with actor Bill Nye, Ian shares some of his fond memories with the band down the years. He also looks back on some major musical influences, discusses conducting appointments in Austria and the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland, and explains why he doesn't tend to use a baton. But first, Ian's reflections on life in lockdown.
1: It's good, Mark. I mean, like everybody, I think, now we're, we're so far into it. I'm certainly uh, missing band. I actually I did pop up to the band room yesterday to... Uh, we, we found some spare jackets and stuff, so I thought, I'll, I'll have a trip to the band room. And it was actually not until I walked in there and I thought, I'm really missing this And it was all set up Just as we left The last rehearsal In, in March But I mean We're all healthy And everybody's safe What about Tredegar Has it been
0: a case Of Zoom quizzes What has the band Been up to
1: Oh yes We've, we've had a We've had a Zoom quiz Every week I think I think we missed one Last week When When uh, the host was Mr. Fox, um, but unfortunately, four bars rest uh, duties took over, so we had to cancel. But we've we've had a quiz virtually every week, and some really humorous ones. The, the rules are that if if you win, you have to host it the next week, which is great um, until you realize how much work goes into hosting. Leanne and I were uh, fortunate to win it one week, and we uh, so we thought let's if we try a few different things. It's a shame we should play some of these on 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 the podcast because uh we got some uh, band personalities to um do some little voice recordings for us to basically yeah. say uh, uh thanks for asking me to be part of the Tradegatown Town band quiz but quite a few of them disguised their voices um and there was a few that you just cannot guess who they are and and, and I have to say we, we really appreciate it. everybody was really up for a, for a laugh so especially big big thanks to Dave King who did the most amazing dracula impression and, and Phil Harper with for his, uh, his uh, sort of West Country Pirate impression. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, one of the other activities the band's been involved with was this rather exciting collaboration with the comedian Matt Lucas in his song, Thank You, Baked Potato. How did yeah. that come about?
1: I mean, it came through Paul Sagers, well well known sort of Cornish cornet player and com- and you know, really up and coming composer, and uh, a marine musician. And uh, Paul Paul just sent basically sent me a message to say, look, I've I've inquired to to uh, Matt's sort of manager that he would like to do a brass band version and. We think Trotiga, as you're usually up for doing something different, uh, would you fancy it? And I said, Yeah, absolutely. So Paul turned the arrangement around in literally 24 hours. We sent all the parts out to the band, and uh, everybody was keen to do it. No, the good thing was, no, nobody could sort of turn around and say, We well, haven't got enough time, time to do it. Ben Stratford, our baritone player, who is a graphic uh, designer, Ben patched it all together and sent it off and Matt was really happy with it. His only complaint was, uh, when the drums come in, I can't hear my voice. (laughs) 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 So as usual, the percussion got in the way, Mark. (laughs) It was great and a really entertaining bit of content, That.
0: But this year, 2020, it's been a strange one all round, hasn't it, with the pandemic and the associated lockdown. And of course, we understand that banding pales into insignificance when compared to the seriousness of the situation that so many people are facing at the moment. But some recent guidance from the UK government made it clear that non-professional groups shouldn't really be playing together at all, not even in little ensembles. And that's not the strategy being adopted by other countries around the world, at least not at the moment. But what do you see, Ian, as being the route out of this situation for bands in general?
1: It's, it's really difficult, Mark, isn't it? I think it's, uh, I mean, we're all keen to get back playing, but obviously we're, we're all... I think the band movement in general is just full of responsible people who, who want to keep everybody safe. It's just a little confusing when, when they're allowing pubs and, you know, some restaurants to, to open. And, and then if we're not allowed to even, Tredegra is an example, we're fortunate to have a quite a big rehearsal space. And even if we're allowed to go, you know, five or six, a group of five or six, I'm sure we could safely uh, distance. I know there's the uh, the a lot of... Uh, Contradictory information about playing of of wind instruments. There's supposedly scientific evidence to say that it's it's not any more dangerous than than other instruments. Which we would, we would obviously go with that that version. But I mean, I'm quite aware, you know, even again in in our own band, we've got a few people with sort of underlying health conditions, and we would definitely not want to put any of those people at risk. But on the other hand, we're we're really keen to get playing again, and uh, you know, even if it would be in a small group situation to start it would be something i think that's the problem at the moment you know we've we've all done the online videos and things but it's not the same as actually making music live together that's what we want to all do but only when it's safe you've been back at tradiger since 2008
0: and you've enjoyed so much contesting success with the band in that time but the band's also developed a reputation for being really innovative often looking beyond the traditional band repertoire and collaborating with some really diverse performers. For listeners who might not be aware, can you provide a little summary perhaps of some of the creative projects the band's been
1: involved with in recent years? When I first started with the band, the first thing we had to sort out was, I think in the first year, we had about 11 contests booked in the diary and about three concerts. You know, the the band at that time was still part of the Welsh League, which you have to do three or four uh, contests each year to stay. And then plus on top of the, you know, the area nationals, you know, any other contest we were doing. It, it was, I sort of said, we've just got this the wrong way around you know contesting we all absolutely love contesting but you know the chances we've got to run the band for a start and you know any bands that make money from contesting i would love to know how you do it. and uh, so that was the first thing we did was said look we need to cut back a little bit on uh on the contest side and get ourselves more as a, a musical organization rather than a, a, a competing organization so as that sort of developed we looked at you know how we could keep things really interesting and uh, you know we've got some work with some Different composers, um, obviously Gavin Higgins has been a big part of uh, of a few of the projects we did the Rambert ballet uh, dark arteries was was probably um, one of the high well definitely one of the highlights you know when we we took that project on gavin when he first sent the music and obviously we were, f- we were very familiar with Gavin's music haven't done a, a few of his you know a big test piece and a few of his other smaller pieces, but then he's, he sent this music and, and it's for, nearly forty five minutes with no break just straight through so we thought oh well it's bound to be you know there's bound to be parts of the music where it's you know sort of relaxing and we can just everybody can take a bit of a chill and it wasn't it was basically 45 minutes of Gavin's difficult music uh, which at first uh, as with a lot of you know big scale works and pieces it's it's a bit daunting to be honest mark and uh we started and we broke it down into chunks and uh it, i always remember our, our flugel player danny wender danny's a he's quite an imposing character and uh brilliant player but i i, I always remember he when we started to rehearse for that project, he said to me, "I'm not going. I'm not going to enjoy this at all. I have to be honest. I know. I know it definitely involved him doing quite a lot of practice. Which is. Uh, Dan is one of these very lucky natural musicians that doesn't have to actually work so hard to to sound pretty good. Which is very frustrating for the rest of us. But I have to say, at the end of the week, because we, you know, we stayed in London for a week. Uh, well, most most of the band, some of the guys were were travelling up and down during the day. Um, to to keep to keep working in their regular jobs, but uh, at the end of the week, Danny actually admitted he said that's the best thing I've ever done, which was sort of made the whole thing worthwhile for me personally. Uh, just to think, well, that's the effect it's had on on that player. I think it's 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 like a lot of these things. It's um, we, we live in such a sort of quick fix society now that everything is so instant music is still one of those things that it hasn't changed at all over you know the last two or three hundred years in that to achieve something really worthwhile it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time that's what i really enjoy about the band that they're not afraid to take on a project that in the first instance might seem just a bit overwhelming but at the end of it if you stick at it
0: It it works. How have projects like the collaboration with the Rambert Company helped benefit the band?
1: Even such as the percussionists, you know, some of the equipment we've had to use. um, I think in the ballet there was one section there was lots of uh, old brake drums off off, off wagons and different sizes and uh, in one of one of the other pieces is a big metal sheet, which I've seen since we, we did that. It's been in about four or five test pieces at the European. So it, it obviously you know, made a point. with. So it's quite nice when you see a, a, a few things like that. But for the players individually, lots and lots of times when we've been working on different test pieces since working on projects such as the ballet, we sort of come across a, a problem. And somebody will say, oh, this is it's a similar sort of issue to the other piece and familiarity makes a it makes a big difference if we come up against a problem and we've dealt with it before there's always a, a similar way to uh to fix it so uh, you know and that usual thing with you know if we, if we try a piece and somebody say yeah it's not as hard as that other thing that you made us play though is it, <laughs> so it you know it, it does it does work it's hard at the time and with just the development of the bands you know the sight reading and stuff like that is has been incredible i'm quite confident now that for normal repertoire concerts. The band could put a concert programme together in two rehearsals, no problem now. Whereas ten years ago, we couldn't have thought about that because it wasn't that the players were not as good, it's just that they weren't used to working in that way. Now we come to Ian's piece
0: of the podcast, and today we're going to listen to part of this wonderful score from Gavin Higgins from his ballet Dark Arteries. This work commemorated the 30th anniversary of the miners' struggle, while also looking to celebrate the legacy of the brass band scene in the UK. The first performance well, that was given by Tredegar at the Festival of Brass at the Royal Northern College of Music in January 2015. Let's now listen to a studio recording of Tredegar Town Band, conducted by Ian Porthouse, playing from Gavin Higgins' Dark Arteries, Under the ground we scream. The sound of Tread Town Band, conducted by Ian Porthouse, playing Under the Ground We Scream, part of the score to Gavin Higgins' Dark Arteries. That was the piece of the podcast, as chosen by my guest today, Ian Porthouse. Another project the band has been involved with in recent times was taking part in Britain's Got Talent, and people can still see that footage on YouTube. What was that experience like? I,
1: I- I've actually I've just written down a little list, uh, Mark. But that that one wasn't on it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, it was a the band was sort of were we asked, would you be interested in doing this? So we we sort of looked at it because I I know a, a, a another well known band had, had done something in, in the past and and not been that successful. So we said, well, come on, what what's the worst can happen? You know, let let let's go for it and uh, intrude sort of true eager fashion they all just really went for it. And you know, even the ones that were maybe a little reticent to let their hair down, they, they absolutely loved it. And the, the experience was a bit bizarre. I don't think it was shown on the TV, but it, it was all night long that we played, that's right. Yep. And uh, at the end, David Walliams actually came onto the stage and mm. said, please, can you do it again? And can I join in? <laughs> so, there is that, Somewhere there must be footage of David Walliams playing the cowbell all the way through all night long and he absolutely loved it we we got through but unfortunately that was as as far as it went which was which was a bit disappointing but um, we've got a Tom Jones medley worked worked up for the next (laughs) the next round which which is in the library somewhere (laughs) we'll save that for another day well we can only hope that we can see that
0: medley at some point but the band's no stranger to appearing in film and tv is it
1: no, no, we um, we were very fortunate a, a couple of years ago to be involved in the the film uh, Pride, which which came about uh, through a great uh, composer, Chris Nightingale, who wrote the uh, original music for Pride. Chris Chris is um he was the music uh, director for on Matilda for many many years and wrote loads of the music with Tim Minchin and uh, so Chris uh, got in touch with us and and also Simon Lenton. So so Chris wrote all the uh, the music for um, the, the soundtrack to Pride, the original soundtrack music, and Simon Lenton, who many of us will remember from Fine Arts Brass Ensemble, and uh, Simon's the, the the trumpet, one of the trumpet players on Matilda. Simon did all the brass band arrangements and was heavily involved in the recording process. So, so the band there, we, we we recorded for a full day down at Air. Studios in, in London, which was amazing, and along with Abbey Road Air Studios, is is probably the the top uh, studio in in the UK. And then obviously we spent about three days over a few months filming, um, which was amazing. My, my lasting memory is uh, one lunchtime down in Antloin, uh, which is down near near Neath in, in, in what we call Welsh Wales, and uh, we we basically played old comrades for a day. And when I say a day, we played it all day, marching up and down one street. And uh, at lunchtime, my lasting memory of that is uh, Bill Nye who's obviously one of the, the big stars of the film. We were having lunch and it was a typical sort of canteen. Uh, and uh, somebody they provided Bill with a very healthy salad. And uh, we were having spaghetti, either it was spaghetti bolognese or chilli or something really, really tasty and uh, he, he, we were chatting away, and he was very, very interested in the band, and you know about their history, and he was very interested in uh, about the competitive side of, of banding and who, who our big rivals were. So we obviously mentioned another band, which we won't go into at the moment. And uh, he, but he did request, uh, in fact, in one of the scenes, if you look closely, Bill Nye has got a Tori of Town Band tie on. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we, I digress. Bill, Bill suddenly decided that uh, this uh, salad wasn't so appetising promptly chucked it in a dustbin and, and went out and got a bowl of chili. He said his, uh, his doctor wouldn 't approve, but there we go and a lovely guy and Amelda Staunton as well, completely down to earth and, uh, and blown away with the band. It was very interesting for for us to see the sort of powerful emotional effect a brass band can have on people, going back to Tim Minchin after the Pride film, We, we were involved with the uh, performance at uh, the old Vic theater. it was two hundred years of the old Vic and they, they they put on a big variety night and invited the band as one of the artists and Tim Minchin was the sort of the big the headline guest I think Dynamo the musician. He, he was one of the other guys and and so Tim had said well what I've got this new show coming out called Groundhog Day which is now a, until the lockdown was a big success and uh he said I've got the final song of the show and uh Chris has said he'll do it. Chris Nightingale said he'll do a band arrangement for it. So we, we went down to the old Vic and in the afternoon we'd, we rehearsed with Tim. He'd never heard the band you know, live before and we rehearsed in quite a small room. We we set off and played this song, and at the end of it, he was actually in tears. As only a good Australian can do, there was an amount of expletives that came out of his mouth of what he thought of the, of the band, in a good way. And and it was just amazing to see that he had his own band there, who were, you know, world-class musicians, and he was just blown away with, wow, that's what a brass band can do. So that that really made you know really made it it, all worthwhile and again you know we're going from Ramba Ballet to to playing a West End show and you know a lot of the band were commenting on you know on the the way home on the bus and you say wow who would ever have thought that we would you know be playing live at the Old Vic with musicians like Tim Minchin and you know just uh yeah things that actually in, in lockdown we've had time to think back about about these things and Yeah, When when you're actually doing it, you haven't got time to think about it, you just do it and uh, move on to the next one. So many wonderful
0: experiences to reflect upon there. Let's look now perhaps at slightly more conventional fare in terms of the band's contesting successes over recent years, of which there have been quite a lot. We're going to come to one of those from 2013 in just a moment, but do you have any others that really stand out in your memory with Tradegger?
1: Probably as as all conductors do, you remember all of the performances uh, for different reasons sometimes. But uh, yeah, obviously the 2013 was a, a really special one. But even going back to, uh, I think it was it must have been the area 2008 on festival music. The band was really in a in a stage of rebuilding at the time, and you know we had quite a lot of changes in personnel, and it was a I mean that was my hit list really was uh, make the band good again. You know because the the band when when I started with the band they didn't really have a full band not a full regular band we, they were struggling for percussionists and so we we sort of we had to fill the band up with with good players quite quickly and it was a it was a really in the initial stage it was a 12 month trial really to see how uh how we got on because I was still living in in Manchester you know in Rochdale I, was, I didn't live in Wales so my schedule at the time was a bit crazy you know getting home at two and two in the morning and being back in school, teaching at nine the next morning. There was a few uh, tired eyes in those days. But uh, I have to say, you know, everything worked really well. We had a very good team, as we still do, of of backroom staff who were very supportive and and, and made it easy. And So that performance at the area in, uh, I think, 2008, on, on festival music you know we won and uh that sort of gave the band an instant uh boost to say right okay we're still not far away from from where we where we want to be but we have to do it consistently and i always remember uh, when, when i started with the band uh dowie griffiths our, our principal corner for for all of the time i've been with the band was actually playing flugel uh so we we were a little bit short in the in the in the corners to start and and dowie was obviously a very 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 strong player and i said look you should be on principal corner Dowie. and uh, he said well i've never i've never really played principal corner since i was about 18 so his, his Dowie's trial was uh, the finals on battle creek <laughs> oh great yeah so he's he so uh, so we said well look let's just do it and, and see what you think and see how it goes and, and i'll never forget we came off stage and uh, Dowie played really well, the band played well. And uh, I said, uh, what do you think then, Dowie? He says, well, bizarrely, I quite enjoy that. So that was it. And we, we're still, we've just moved on from then. So <laughs> that was 12 years ago. And uh, Dowie is still, uh, hopefully, still quite enjoying it.
0: <laughs> In 2010, the band had a remarkable year, which saw Tredegar win the Grand Shield, gain promotion to the British Open, and then go on to win the Open, playing on the shoulders of giants, how special was that overall experience?
1: It was it was amazing, Mark. And uh, as most bands will say, getting out of the grand field is probably the toughest job um, I've had to do as as a conductor. I know we'd had we had three goals, and and I have to, say, and I'm very open and honest about this. the The performance that we qualified on and won was, in our opinion, was our weakest performance. You know, the two years before we thought we'd absolutely nailed it, and. I think Dowie had won the Solar Prize both years, and and we thought right we're in here. And we we came third the first year, which was quite disappointed, and then we came fourth the next the year after, and then the year we qualified on Rococo, we weren't happy with the performance. That's that's for sure. The band as a band were not that happy, and uh, we we we'd sort of resigned ourselves. Okay, well we'll just come back next year, and uh, so most of the band were in one of the bars. And somebody came in and said, "Hey, what are you lot? You shouldn't be here. You should be on the stage." Why that you 've won <laughs> so it was a little bit a little bit of a surprise, um, but anyway, and then going on to the open, it was a a, a great piece i mean i 'm a huge fan of, of of Bruckner, and so the shoulders of Giants was a, a really interesting piece for me to do. Zoe was on Flugel and, and Steve Sykes, uh, Stephen Steve Sykes on on trombone, so it really suited those two players in the um, in the second movement. And we just went for it. We said, look, we've got nothing at all to lose. Uh, Let's go for it and see what happens. And uh, we were very fortunate enough to... uh, It went quite well. (laughs) It certainly
0: did. And another special experience at the British Open came a few years later in 2013. And the test that year was Arabian Nights, the music by Stephen Roberts, taking, of course, a lot of inspiration from Scheherazade by Rimsky-Korsakov. What are
1: your memories of that year? I mean, as, as a conductor, you get a feel throughout a performance. You know, you know whether it's it's uh, okay. It's going to be a, a hard working day at the office, or or this is quite good, or mm, this is yeah, this is we've got some problems, or you know, it, it, and and as a piece goes through, I normally know probably halfway through the piece what the overall performance is going to be like but with Arabian Nights it was there were so many traps and difficult moments for people I was sort of ticking sections off as, as we went along you know we did the opening and that was good and then the, the, the little link and I think okay that was good and then the next bit and then the, the euphonium duet went well and the cadenzas okay this is going well normally I would be thinking Great. Let's we are on this now. Let's really go for it. But even right to the end, because there's, there's that there's a I remember there's a really horrible entry for the solo horn, isn't there? Where everybody stops, and I think the solo horn has to come in on a high G sharp. So until all of those things were had all been so mentally ticked off by by me, um, I think it was probably just in about the last two or three minutes of the piece where the band they knew this was something quite special, and they they just absolutely gave it everything. And uh, right up until the last high E for the soprano at the end. I mean, a, a high E on a soprano is a. Um, I don't think you could, even if we hired might Love It or something, you can't guarantee that note's going to be there every time. And even uh, he was doing it pretty well. And at, just at the end, he, he hit this note and uh, just the whole just erupted, absolutely erupted. And apparently, I jumped straight up in the air.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which which I'm not sure actually happened, but apparently it did. And then uh, I remember, because like, all the cornets were stood at the back, weren't they, For the, the, they were all stood around at the back of the band, and uh, all I remember is looking at my wife, Leanne, running around, high-fiving the percussionists. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good sign that we, we we thought we'd done okay anyway. Just everybody did their bit, and uh, and great music, absolutely inspirational music to work. And again, I, I really enjoy the sort of orchestral-themed pieces and uh yeah very very good memories ian since that time
0: do you have any other contest performances with tradiga or with any of the other bands you've
1: been involved with that really stand out in your memory obviously tradiga is my main musical ensemble that i work with week in week out and we've got some great great memories we had a performance I think it was in the same actually the same year in the in the Nationals of, of Distant Memories where we we just missed out. Um, I think at the Open we we won and Corey were second, and at the, at the Nationals Corey won and we were second, so it was a it was an even year for us. But that that performance, and then I've had some some great memories. Uh, Cambridge Variations at the area of the band were outstanding, with some great European performances. The latter one was, was the uh a tale is yet I'm told. You know, the band absolutely played uh, superbly, they prepared well. There's been some but some some of my other projects obviously I worked up in Scotland for quite a while with, with Whitburn, some good good memories there you know i think the four years we had two two wins and two seconds at the, the i don't call it the scottish area or you don't it's the, it's it's the scottish, championships, scottish isn't it? championship yeah. yeah and uh it means i know it means a hell of a lot to to the bands up there but my my other main main interest is is, is working out in austria with brass band Oberostreich which is a a completely different sort of project because they, they are literally a project band that they're, they're all uh they don't rehearse every week they, they're from all over the upper part of, of austria from you know from salzburg right over to the east of vienna so it covers a big bigger geographical area and we meet up literally um for a week uh, and rehearse and then do the comp contest at the end of the week. They they do sectionals and things beforehand, but we're very uh, privileged there that we we can rehearse um, during the day. So they, most of the band are either professional players or teachers. Fortunately, they're, they're given a little bit of time off to come and rehearse with the band. Um, so we, we start at nine in the mornings and we finish at five. So it's just a, non, a normal day's work. But you can imagine you do that for... Five days with you know with really well prepared players and the results we we can come up with are, are pretty good. It's a it's a different style, you know. The 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 players have have different styles to us and it's uh, you know lots of people say to me, oh you know you, you how do you get them to play in a British style? Then my answer is I don't ask them to play in a British style because it was it would just sound so unnatural. So we we tried, I mean the the brass playing in Austria is uh, it's got a heritage that. Probably far outweighs uh, brass band playing in the UK. So I'm, who am I to sort of mess with it? But we just try and work together, and you, I use my, you know, experiences of what we're trying to do, and 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 mould what they do naturally into something that gives us a, a pretty authentic uh, product. You know, we we do have a problem in that there are no there aren't any tenor horn players in Austria because it's it's not a, a an instrument that fits in any other ensemble. So we. A horn section usually comprises of. Uh, it, it varies sometimes between uh, trumpet players, French horn players, and baritone players. Um, all playing various, uh, all playing ten horns, obviously, but with various different mouthpiece adapters. And uh, but they're they're pretty good now. Um, we we always have a laugh and a joke because when we meet, we're always working on really hard test pieces. And day one, we all we all assume now that day one is bad. Day one will sound pretty awful, isn't it? I always go in really enthusiastic, and yeah, we're gonna. It'll be like this, and these players will be amazing. And, and day one's always awful because it's not together and it's not in tune. And and it's uh, day two in the morning. It's like a different ensemble, because they they just need a little time to get back into, for the switch to click, that oh, I'm in brass band mode now, and I need to watch out for this, and do this, and they're such a lovely bunch of people who are just 100% keen all they want to do is play well, that's it, (laughs) and the the advantage I think of, they don't have that sort of heritage and history, but it's just what we're doing now, which is, I have to say, how I like to operate, I'm not that interested in you know, how many nationals Sunday's won and all this. It's about, we're here now and we're playing this music. Let's see what we can do. And they they, they seem to have that same same attitude. And I absolutely love going over there. And Th- Thomas Bygance, the, the the band manager, and for many years, the, the flugel player and solo horn. is just, a, I mean, Thomas is now a, a very, very close friend. We, you know, we spend holidays over there. He's just Mr. Organised. The first job of the day, every day, is to take lunch orders which for any band managers out there, if you do that at the start of the day, you've got the band on side, straight away. <laughs> so Thomas, is a pretty switched on guy, Is Thomas Bygans Looking now
0: to your own experiences, Ian, you grew up as a cornet player leading the National Youth Brass Band. You played at Wayland, Desford, Black Dyke and YBS under the likes of Richard Evans, James Watson, David King and Alan Whittington. And I'm sure there are more names to add to that list how much of an influence did those conductors
1: have on you all of them a, a huge influence in in all different ways mark um you know going going right back to the sort of beginning of my career was when i first uh uh, met and started to work with Richard Evans, who, who's sort of stayed a an influence in my career all the way through. And I'm, I'm delighted now that I'm working closely again with Richard, with uh, with Nibs. Well, we, we we still call him the boss. Uh, technically, I'm the boss, but I, I don't feel like it. Dick, Dick will always be my boss. And uh, so Richard came along to conduct the, the Cumbria Youth Brass Band. So I would have been probably 13 or 14 at the time. And this... Energetic charismatic conductor came into the band, and wow, it was amazing! You know, we used to look forward to those rehearsal days. I think it, we used to rehearse um, once a month on a Sunday in Keswick, and uh, Richard just lifted the band to another level and he just made every moment of that, uh, those rehearsals and performances so enjoyable. Mm. Um, and that followed on then, obviously, with me playing with Leyland um, for a very, very happy five or six years, and uh, um, so Richard. Probably from fourteen to twenty-one, Richard was my main conductor. and I don't think you could really have a better, better role model, and and also how to how to you know deal with people because he's he's the master of uh, uh, you know keeping morale up and knowing when to turn the screws and and make people work and but keeping things real. And obviously then I moved on to Desford and worked with with Jim Watson at Desford and Black Dyke, and you know Jim was was very different to Richard, but at the end of the day you know he was a, came from a very similar background he was a cornet player with 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 brass band at a young age and he, he really knew how to how to make a band work but at the same time i mean most of the time i went with with uh jim he was still principal trumpet at, at, at covent garden so he was working with the world's best conductors you know on a thursday afternoon and then on thursday evening he was saying well you know let's try this some this conductor tried this in rehearsal today and it worked with the orchestra let's see if it works on the band and you know so we, we were getting all of these different ideas all of the time uh, alongside uh, jim's real uh heritage of he, he knows how to make a band work for a contest and that was it was a, a brilliant uh, combination and then obviously after that david king david is a a complete and just a one-off and uh but underneath probably what people see on the on the contest stage, there's a very deep thinking musician there. And, uh, you know, I learned so much from David about, you know, how to balance a band and texture and all of these things that, and I guess sometimes you you weren't even aware that you were learning because it was just a rehearsal. But when, when you're principal corner, you're you sort of, you're the closest to the conductor, you're seeing all the small gestures, you're seeing all the, the little things that happen that maybe, the audience definitely don't see and, and probably a lot of the band you know you see absolutely everything and uh, then Alan, Alan Wythington and all, all of these conductors were very different in their approaches but all, all sort of ended up with the same result of brilliant performances so you know as I said there's, there's more than one way to skin the cat. Some conductors use a baton and some don't you don't is there a particular reason behind that or does it just feel more comfortable? Uh, it's It sort of happen, happened by, well, I'm going to say by accident, by, by a few accidents, because I always did use a baton. And then, as most conductors find, you you catch them on things and it gets a bit shorter and snaps. And then I used to end up with a baton about five inches long. And uh, and I have to say, I never used to, in any slow music, I, I've never really used a baton. I always used to just put the baton down. I always found it was more expressive just using my hands. And uh, in the end, I think it was my wife Leanne said, why are you bothering using the baton it's so sh- nobody can see it anyway uh, so so that's sort of how it came about I, I will use a baton if it's needed it's not that i'm adverse to using the baton not at all you know if it's for i know for the for the ballet in the in uh, uh, the ramba ballet the seating position of the band was very different we were basically in two straight lines with the back back line raised full width of the stage so it was practically it was really, really difficult. And the lighting obviously a lot of the time was quite dark. So I, I used the baton for, for all of the ballet. I had a conversation, it's quite a long time ago now, with, with Howard Snell when I when I was a tutor on the National Youth Brass band for the cornets and uh Howard was the, the guest conductor. And I noticed Howard had stopped using the baton. So I had a chat with him and uh, he just said, well he says I think I can say everything I want to say bet easier with my hands. If I want something to go pow I know you. Could, the listeners can't see that, but you know that can have more of an effect than if you hold it. You just just restricted. So the answer is, uh, I will use a button if I need to, and uh, it sort of came about by accident. It's fascinating.
0: Your career though, has also seen you become the director of brass band studies at the Royal
1: Birmingham Conservatoire. How do you enjoy working with the students there in Birmingham? It was one of my students that's graduating this year, and he wanted a reference. So he was applying for a job and said, can you do me a reference? And one of the, I had to give him my details and it said, uh, how long have you worked at those conservatory? And I worked out and it's 23 years, uh, which came as a shock to me as well. And uh, my, my students said, wow, I didn't think you'd, you'd been there that long. Um, so it was, uh, I started, for, I think the first six or seven years as a, a corner tutor because my position of uh, head of band, brass band studies didn't really exist then. And uh our head of brass at the time, uh, David Purser, who was a, a trom- he was a fantastic trombone player and with Philip Jones and uh, the London Sinfonietta for many years He's, he thought we should have we should have an official position to look after the brass band and you know really make it their own. So I was appointed as, as this in this position, and um, I see it as a it, it's part of their, their education, so we don't really play too much standard repertoire. The the repertoire we we normally play is either historical or advanced test pieces, you know, pieces that they probably wouldn't normally play with their brass bands. We look at it nearly all of the students play with outside bands, lo- either locally or when I mean, we have a few travel down from uh, from Birmingham to Tredegar. To, to We've got some players going over to Desford and to Gus and, you know, uh, Flowers, you know, so they're all playing. We look at pieces that they they certainly wouldn't be playing in a regular concert. It's really, really interesting for me to to see how those players uh, develop. And one of my students was, uh, is from Oakhampton in Devon. He never, never played any music by Harrison Bird Whistle or anything like that. Regardless whether they enjoy the repertoire, at least they know it exists and, and how to approach it. Last year, we did, we did um, a performance of the Janicek Sinfonietta. The, the whole thing. There's a, there's a brilliant arrangement by the ex-bass uh, trombone of the CBSO, Alwyn Green. Alwyn's uh, I think he was a conductor of City Country Band for quite a long time and Alwyn's he's still got a real interest in brass bands and he he came to me after one of our concerts and he had a carrier bag with him and he said if you get a chance you maybe want to try this arrangement I did a few years ago so I looked in this bag and there's manuscript parts for the whole of the Anicek Sinfonietta which I thought wow what a project to take on but I mean the parts it's really really tough and uh one of us, one of my students, uh, from, uh, is originally from, from Halifax. And, uh, I remember him saying to me, this is my worst nightmare. All of this difficult music. You know, he said, I like playing marches. And, uh, <laughs> from inside, I was saying, yes, yes, this is, this is what I want the students to, uh, experience. And, and again, normally at the end of the project, everybody's really satisfied that we took this on and, uh, you know, develop them as, as musicians, not just as, as brass band players. I want out my students and the students from the college to, to go out and, and sort of help other bands think this is possible, you know, rather than just um, avoiding challenging, you know, and by difficult music I don't mean technically difficult because bands are amazing at getting around technical things, but just things that don't sound great straight away, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, you know, stick at it and you can make a good job. That's an absolutely
0: wonderful experience for those students, but that sort of focus, that spotlight on bands, isn't something that exists in every conservatoire. And we know that conservatoires are often, and quite rightly so, geared towards sending brass players into symphony orchestras. And my goodness, if you can pay your mortgage by sitting playing in a symphony orchestra, then that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. But do you think that having that wider focus to perhaps further enhance the experiences of the players, for example, at Birmingham,
1: helps? We're under no illusions. You know, to, to make your living as a corner player is not going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to have just sort of caught the end of the the, the, the works bands, you know, with Leyland and, and you know, the big sponsored bands. It's just not like that anymore, you know. I think the only professional cornet player I know is it was the the chap from Paris. Well, I think he's finished with with the Paris band now. He was, you know, he's the first cornet of the Paris Opera, and that's one job. <laughs> you know, we and we we might have five or six cornet players graduating each year, and most of the con, uh, conservatoires are, are the same. So, you know, we need to make our musicians as employable as possible you know they can play in a brass band and we have lot, obviously lots going to into teaching but I'm you know positive that just this this wide range of knowledge that they've got helps them so much in in whatever path they choose.
0: If we look to what's going on in Wales and the standards produced by bands like Eager and Corey and others in Wales there are clearly lots of factors involved there but to what extent do you think the work at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama is helping to strengthen banding in Wales?
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I talk to talk to Bob fairly regularly about Bob and I have got the same same jobs at different conservatoires, and there's no doubt over the years that Tredegar have had a, a, a good supply of, of players from the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. You know, I guess at any time we'll, we'll have at least two or three current students um, and probably maybe seven or eight past students you know that have been at the college so they and i know core is the same and that you know we've got luke Coyd and tom winlay so there's still a very healthy number of bands um within the, the our you know south southwest wales uh, east wales uh, area and we're all supplied very well by uh by the by the royal welsh and uh i have to say Bob very very you know generous sometimes he'll ring he'll will send me a message uh, you know, if you need a corner player this corner players is a, a damn good corner player you know and uh, so we we do appreciate those little steers our way and and it, it helps. And I mean, unfortunately, I sort of get first pick on my students at, at Birmingham, but to, it's a big, a big ask asking the, the students, you know, to travel from from Birmingham down to Wales at least twice a week, and obviously every night when we've got a contest on. So, so we 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 have to think about that quite uh, about quite carefully. But I mean, the, and I guess it's the same in in Manchester and Huddersfield and Salford. You know, the, those players are, are helping through all the different sections of, of, of the local bands. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very important that uh, we keep that going.
0: We're reaching the closing moments of today's chat, Ian. Around this time of the year, I'm sure you and lots of players and, and conductors involved in the brass scene would be looking forward to summer residentials, which, are, of course, are such fun events, tutoring and conducting and so on. Clearly, they won't be happening the same way this year. You touched on the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland earlier, of which you are musical director. How are plans shaping up for that?
1: Well, we've been working really hard. My son's in a member of the National Youth Band of Great Britain and the, the National Youth Brass Band of Wales, and sort of a, uh, a guest member of the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland not most of the time. So everybody's trying to trying to keep the, uh, the contact going with it with the players. So it. In uh, Nibs, we've been we've put together a virtual concert that will be, I think it's on the 8th of August, it will be broadcast. Mm. And uh, Alan Fernie's written a brand new piece for us, which is absolutely brilliant. So um, I think all of the recordings have been done and sent in. Um, good luck to whoever, whoever is uh, editing those together when you think oh God, there could be 60 odd members of this band I hope they can fit them all on the screen and uh, so we've been our tutors have been working away with, with you know I chose three pieces our tutors have been working individually and in, in small groups with with each section and they've been sending their recordings in and their tutors will be advising them I'll oh, try this try that and uh, everybody's been working so hard and I have to say John John and Carrie Boulkes they, they they're so passionate about nibs as as we all are my biggest problem is is actually once i've done my videos without john Bokes helping me send them to him anybody who knows me and not technology wise i'm uh, i'm not that I'm, I'm, i have to say i'm better now than i was 3 months ago but uh, yeah john and Carrie Bokes that you would not meet people who are just so proud of the organization that you know it'd be, it'd be easy to just say well it not, it's not happening this year and uh carry on and we'll see you uh, hopefully next easter but uh, they weren't happy with uh, with that at all and uh, we, we really hope that the uh, end result would be a big well i'm sure it will be and uh, a really interesting
0: That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thank you to Ian Porthouse and thank you to you for listening. Remember, you can enjoy a digital subscription of British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. Go to britishbandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.